You're listening to Crossroads International Church Podcast. Welcome. We hope this podcast will bless you from wherever you're listening to it. For more information, go to our website at xrds.nl. And now, let's get into the podcast. Hello, Crossroads. Again, Happy New Year to all of you. And uh, Happy New Year to all of you online as well. Uh, it's really a pleasure to be here and, uh, and to kick off this new series. My name is Steve Ashworth, and I'm part of the teaching team. Uh, and uh, the, the series is called God in the, in the Movies. And for the next four weeks, we'll be looking at what we can learn about God and His Word, learn about people, and what we can learn about God's redemptive purposes for our lives through film. And for those of you who are new, uh, it's been quite a few years since we've had a God in the Movies series at Crossroads. Um, but for this series, Paul has asked the teaching team, each of us, to pick uh, a movie to, uh, to use as part of our sermon. And personally, I, I found that rather daunting. I mean, how many movies are there? Uh, and so to get some ideas, I, I surveyed our kids, uh, and I came with a list of 25. Uh, some of them are classics. It's a Wonderful Life, oh, a great Christmas movie. Um, Chariots of Fire, movies I'd never heard of before, and uh, I was like, okay, which one? God, I really need uh, some direction here, and I was still trying to figure out which one to use, and I heard that for Christmas Eve, we'd be sharing the Christmas story through the life of John Newton, who wrote the hymn Amazing Grace 250 years ago. And all of a sudden, I thought of the movie, Amazing Grace. Some of you may have heard of it, some maybe not. But it follows up directly on the life of John Newton with the life of William Wilberforce, who for 20 years worked to abolish the British slave trade and eventually abolish slavery in the British Empire. I was getting excited about it because the movie in so many ways is about being a world changer. I also started to realize how connected this movie is to our present. That same week, we were watching the Dutch news and saw the apology by the Dutch Prime Minister, Mark Rutte, for the Netherlands' role in the history of slavery. And then I thought, yes, this movie is still very relevant today. This is a topic we still need to reckon with, to acknowledge, to confess, to apologize, to restore. The church also had a role in slavery. Persons who considered themselves to be Christians played a major role at times in upholding and justifying the enslavement of people. It's important to acknowledge and confess, just like Daniel, Nehemiah, and Ezra did with the past sins of Israel. And so I, I would like to pray in that regard as well. Lord, we have sinned as a church. We've sinned with complicity, with support, and even profiting from the slave trade and slavery. And the fruit of that still is today. 
Lord, we confess our sin as a church. It's been wicked in your eyes and a stench to your nostrils. Forgive us, Lord, we pray. Lord, hear our prayer. This movie is also relevant because there are still tens of millions of people in the world today, women, men, children, in modern-day slavery, in situations of exploitation where they cannot refuse or cannot leave because of threats of violence, deception, abuse of power, or other forms of coercion. Over three million children are in forced labor around the world today. Millions more are in forced commercial sexual exploitation, including an estimated 1.7 million children. And we know most of those are girls. We still need world changers today. And whether it's in modern-day slavery or any other structure of sin, we need people who will bring good news to the poor, the captives, the blind, the oppressed. It's not only relevant to today. It's relevant to the future, to what you and we together as a church will do with our lives. What difference is God calling us to make in the world? To be part of the answer to the prayer. Lord, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. In this movie, we can see four aspects of being a world changer in William Wilberforce and those who brought about the massive change to an evil that was entrenched in the power and wealth of an empire that few dared to believe was possible to change. But with God, all things are possible. So let's take a look at them. The first one was pardon. Understanding amazing God's amazing grace. The verse I want to read, don't, from Romans 12, verse two, 1 and 2. Romans 12, 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. William Wilberforce became a member of parliament at age 21. Any 21-year-olds in the house? <laughs> Since 1780. He came from a wealthy trading family in Hull and was living a life focused on himself, his career, social clubs, gambling and drinking. And during his mid-20s, he experienced what he later called the great change. He became a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. He gave up his social clubs, his gambling and excessive drink, and was considering giving up politics. He had witnessed the power of pardon, the power of repentance and forgiveness in the life of his mentor, John Newton, who had been a slave ship captain 
transporting slaves from West Africa to the West Indies. Newton had been spiritually lost and blind. And it was God's amazing grace that turned Newton's life around, as we heard on Christmas Eve. He stopped trading slaves and eventually became an evangelical Anglican minister, outspoken against slavery. Let's read from Mark 1.15. Jesus said, the time has come. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. This is exactly what happened to both John Newton and William Wilberforce. They turned from their sins and believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord. And no matter where you find yourself today or what you've done, Jesus' words are still true today. Repent and believe the good news. The grace of God is available for you if you ask. Here's a scene portraying Newton giving his confession about the slave trade and urging Wilberforce to use it to stop the slave trade. This is my confession. You must use it. Names, ship's records, ports, people. Everything I remember is in here. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great savior. You must publish it. Blow a hole in their boat with it. Damn them with it. I wish I could remember all their names. My 20,000 ghosts, they all have names. Beautiful African names. We call them with just grunts, noises. We were apes. They were humans. I'm weeping. I couldn't weep till I wrote this. I once was blind. But now I see. Didn't I write that too? Yes, you did. Well, now at last it's true. Now go, Wilbur, go. We've lots of work to do, you and I. Try to make sure this uh, stand doesn't get in your way. <laughs> Newton knew that the kingdom of God to come, it started with confession, with repentance, and believing the good news. And though his physical sight and memory were fading toward the end of his life, 
It was now that he could see clearly, I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. That Jesus Christ is a great Savior is the good news that Newton wanted to spread and to bring practically to stop the whole slave trade. Newton and Wilberforce both knew God's forgiveness and pardon. And that set the foundation for them as world changers. Secondly, there was purpose. Discovering God's call. And this is the second trait that we see throughout the movie and even in that clip that we just saw. Wilberforce wrestled whether, with whether to stay in politics or simply pursue God and live a life of solitude. Newton and others came around Wilberforce and helped him convince, convince him that he could do both. In fact, after those meetings, he writes in his journal, God Almighty has placed before me two great objects, the suppression of the slave trade and reformation of manners. That is 18th century language, <laughs> meaning the reformation of the British society that had grown so depraved. It's easy to wonder, what is the best place for me? What's the place where I can make the greatest impact for God's kingdom? We might be tempted to think that a career in a given area of society is less spiritual than full-time Christian work. What you need to realize is that if God gives you a purpose, then that is your full-time Christian service, whatever that is. God has called each of us to use our gifts, our passions for his glory, to build his kingdom in every sphere of society. Let's read two passages that Paul writes about that. Ephesians 4.1, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. Then Ephesians 2.10, for you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Let's take a look at a, a short scene from the dinner that Wilberforce had with various people who wanted to abolish slavery abolitionists, which helped convince him to join the cause to end the slave trade and slavery. It opens with the former slave, Equiano, describing what happens in the plantations. When you reach the plantation, they put irons to the fire and do this let you know that you no longer belong to God, but to a man. Mr. Wilberforce, we understand you're having problems choosing whether to do the work of God or the work of a political activist. We humbly suggest that you can do both. I love that.
one of the other great abolitionists of the time, Thomas Clarkson, was the one who was drawing out the struggle that William Wilberforce was having between being in politics or doing the work of God. Hannah Moore, a writer and educator, sums up the challenge that I believe is not only for Wilberforce, but I believe it's for us all. What is God's purpose for your life? Are you using what God has given you for his purposes? You are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You can do both. You were created for it. The third trait that we see is how God uses partners, pursuing God's passions together. The clip we saw also pointed to that. God uses people together to accomplish great things. Wilberforce joined together with a band of others and formed a community of like-minded people, each with their own strengths and ways to influence. In addition to Wilberforce, there were pastors, bankers, scholars, writers, educators, lawyers, artists, accountants, doctors, and many more. Many lived near each other. They prayed together, ate together, started new initiatives together, and supported each other through it all. The initiatives they started included ending the slave trade, reforming the prisons, ending cruelty to animals, starting Bible societies and mission societies, and many more. When we think of what's going on in the world around us today, the war in Ukraine, human trafficking, loneliness, climate change, famine, abortion, the list can go on and on and be long and overwhelming. On our own, we can easily be paralyzed. But we cannot change the world on our own. Great changes come because of having partners who pursue God's passions together. The writer of the book of Hebrews caught this. Hebrews 10, 24. Let's consider how we can stimulate each other to be more loving and to do good deeds. Let's keep meeting together and encouraging each other. Likewise, in this next clip, we see Wilberforce recalling several ways that people partnered together to change the society's opinion about slavery and give hope. All that winter, we spread out across the country, gathering evidence for Parliament. Thomas rode to Bristol, Liverpool, Plymouth, talking to men who'd worked the slave ships, ship's doctors who'd treated them. Slaves themselves had been whipped and branded. Equiano published his account of his years as a slave. He sold 50,000 copies in two months. Our supporters began to only buy sugar produced without slaves in India. 
they stopped using sugar altogether. It seemed our message was everywhere. At least now there was hope. Real hope. And hope comes from being united in purpose and working together. Consider how can we motivate one another more toward love and good deeds. There's another trait that we see in this movie, and we see in Wilberforce's life, and that's perseverance. Cultivating spiritual disciplines for a lifestyle of service. William Wilberforce first started working on abolishing the slave trade shortly after the great change took place in his life. Nearly every year he would submit a bill to Parliament that would be blocked by vested interests or political apathy and be defeated. He lost friends. His life was threatened. He was given an addictive opium for an illness. What kept him going for 20 years, facing setback and defeat so often? Wilberforce set up daily times of reading and prayer for himself. And after he was married, he added to that a time for family devotions with his wife and children. This passage describes the type of perseverance that Wilberforce maintained to fight the spiritual battles that he did. 1 Timothy 6, 11 and 12, it says, But you, Timothy, are a man of God. So run from all of these evil things. Pursue righteousness and a godly life, along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight for the true faith. Hold tightly to eternal life, to which God has called you, which you have confessed before witnesses. Whatever purpose God has given you, spiritual disciplines are fundamental Fundamentals for your life. Pick one and pursue it, and then add it to it one by one. The Apostle Paul tells young Timothy to flee evil and pursue righteousness in a godly life, and then add to it faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. What spiritual disciplines do you need for 2023 for the spiritual battles ahead of you? Take one, pursue it. And then start adding to it. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27 says, Don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with this purpose, in, with a purpose in every step. I am not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. We often overestimate what we can do in a year and far underestimate what we can do over longer periods of time. Spiritual disciplines allow us to run the race with perseverance, to press on for the eternal prize ahead. We can recognize that we are not where we want to be. But when we integrate spiritual disciplines in our life, by God's grace, we will not be the same person 
that we used to be. Let's look at our final clip, which reflects the great change that's taking place. It's actually earlier in Wilberforce's life as a 20-year-old and his desire to be alone with God, although that doesn't always turn out like we think it will. kitchen door. Uh, I would turn him away, sir, but you insisted I always check. Uh, just give him breakfast. Thank you, sir. Richard? Sir? I know that lying down on the wet grass is not a normal thing to do. None of my business, sir. The truth is, uh, I've been even more strange than usual lately, haven't I? It's God. I have 10,000 engagements of state today, but I would prefer to spend the day out here getting a wet arse, studying dandelions, and marveling at bloody spider's webs. You found God, sir? I think he found me. You have any idea how inconvenient that is? How idiotic it will sound. I have a political career glittering ahead of me, and in my heart I want spiders webs. It is a sad fate. For a man to die too well known to everybody else and still unknown to himself. Francis Bacon. I don't just dust your books, sir. Well, the butler does provide a little comedy. I love his line Have you found God, sir? And the response. I think he found me. Bringing it all together, what does it mean to be a world changer? That may sound a bit lofty to be a world changer, but God is looking for us. The Bible says that God's eyes are searching to and fro throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are completely his. William Wilberforce gave himself fully to God. And God strengthened this young politician to do together with others above and beyond what he could have ever imagined laying on the wet grass. 
to rid the British Empire of the slave trade and eventually slavery and so much more. What does God want you to use your life for? It doesn't need to be the same as William Wilberforce. But how does God want to use Crossroads as a church? I think it's bigger than we can think or imagine. I encourage you to reflect on these themes of of pardon and what is so amazing about grace, of purpose and calling, of community and partners, of perseverance and spiritual disciplines. What are the great objects, God's great purposes for your life? James, the brother of Jesus, wrote this. Pure and lasting religion in the sight of God our fathers means that we must care for orphans and widows in their troubles and refuse to let the world corrupt us. Mother Teresa once said, do small things with great love. I believe that's where great things begin. Then whether it's something big or small in your eyes, do it with faith. Bathe it in prayer. Live it out together. And you and others will experience amazing grace. Amen. Thank you for listening, and we hope that you have a wonderful week. See you next time.